Morning, church. How many of you are early risers? Hallelujah! <laughs> How many of you love getting up in the morning? I understand there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who love getting up in the morning, and there are those who hate those who love getting up in the morning. Right, so, again, how many of you love getting up in the morning? Look around, the rest of you, and say, we hate you. When you first woke up this morning, uh, do you remember your first thoughts? They kind of muddled or doubled what they were. How many of you woke up and, and thought, this is God's day. It's going to be a good day. Day filled with opportunities to be able to explore and understand and get to know God better and serve Him and love Him. Or how many of you just woke up thinking, where's the cop? <laughs> I wonder how often when we start our day, we believe that our days are filled with divine opportunities and divine appointments. Or do we really just begin our days as we live them through on a kind of autopilot, just surfing the course of events through the day, the day passes, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. And then you find yourself thinking, really, what is my life about? What are the choices that I make? And do they matter that much? How about the church? What is it that you think God wants for us as we wake up and start a new year as the church? Not, not what is it that you want, but what is it that you think God wants for us? For the next couple of weeks, as we find, a, find our way into the new year, we're going to be spending some time reflecting on that. We titled the series, Start Again. And uh, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at what it means for us to be the church again. Now, why do we do this? We do this at the beginning of every season because it's easy to drift, isn't it? It's easy just to allow the current of life and life's events and life pressures to push us off course. You've ever had that experience of being there at the beach and you go out into the waters and you're, and you're floating along and you're enjoying it. And before you realize it, you look up and you, and you see that your umbrella and your stuff are way down there. The current just pushed you way off stream. It happens in life. It happens in work. It happens in the church. There's drift. And so we want to recalibrate, recenter ourselves on who we are as the people of God, on what it is that we want to be. And just to be clear, if you've been here for some time, you've heard this before. Here at MCBC, we want to be a place where everyone is welcome. We want to be the kind of place where we acknowledge that nobody is perfect. And yet, in spite of that, we hold on to the truth that anything is possible. Will you say that with me? Everyone is welcome. Nobody is perfect. Anything is possible. We want to be the kind of place where people who are far away from God can think again about what it means to be people of faith. We want to be the kind of place where people can start again, can start life again, can, can start living life with God instead of, instead of living life absent 
of God. And so we're going to think together over the next three weeks about God's vision for our lives and for our church. And today we're going to look at, I think, one of the most exciting statements that we have in the Bible. And to do that, I'm going to take you with me into the seminary classroom, and we're going to go into first-year New Testament Greek. Are you excited? Don't be that excited. None of us were that excited, but but here we are. And we're going to learn this morning from an unassuming middle-aged Greek professor by the name of Jerry Hawthorne. Jerry was a genius, uh, a writer whose, whose books many of us have known and admired. And Jerry would get excited about some passages in the Bible because he believed that there were these passages that were in there that would just rock your world. That they had the capacity to really tip things and, and set them in motion in brand new ways. And this is one of them. These words we're going to read together from Revelation in chapter 3. These are words that can really alter the course of your life. And as we read them, I hope that you, you place some credibility in the idea that God can use the pages of Scripture, can use the words and verses of Scripture in a way that moves his people and moves his church. Book of Revelation, as some of you know, was written by John, probably the Apostle John. It was recorded uh, as, a, as a vision that God had received to this John living in exile on the island of Patmos. And he's writing in these early chapters to the church. And so it's kind of cool that we're reading words as a church that were written to the church. And John begins in Revelation 3 saying, I'm writing now to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. That seems kind of weird to write to an angel, but realize the word angel is the word agalos. We get the word angelos from it, like Los Angeles, agalos, which, which is the same word as messenger. Write this to the messenger of the church. So most likely, these are little letters written by John to the pastor of the church. Basically, the pastor's an angel. <laughs> You heard it here first, honey. (laughs) Anyway, so here we are. Revelation 3, verses 7 and 8. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So what are the words? Here they are. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. There it is. A little passage of scripture to challenge and encourage the church in Philadelphia. And we eavesdrop and we realize that God can use the same words to encourage us today. Now, to grasp the significance of the passage, Jerry Hawthorne, Dr. Hawthorne would say, you got to start with the grammar. So forgive me, but we are in a New Testament Greek class, so we're going to do a little bit of grammar. Greek often uses a tense called the aorist tense. The aorist is past action, something that happened in the past and now it's done. 
And if you wanted to represent it visually, you can represent it just with a little dot. It happened, and it's over and done with. But there's another tense. It's called the perfect tense. It's also used to describe an event that happened in the past. But here's the difference. That past event continues to have an effect on the present. So if you wanted to represent it visually, it's a little dot, but an arrow. It happened, but the effects are still happening. It happened then, but the ripples of that event still are working in the life, in our life and in the world today. Beautifully illustrated, by the way, in a passage, a magnificent passage in 1 Corinthians 15. That passage, if, if you know it, this is a passage that's often read at funeral services. We read it yesterday or Friday when we gathered with Brother Harold and, and laid his dear wife to, wear, to rest. But 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to the apostles and to the twelve. He uses a whole series of these errorist verbs, past tense, single dot, explaining things that happened. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was seen by Peter and the apostles and so on. All those single dot verbs. But in the middle of all of those aorist past tenses, he uses the perfect tense to talk about the resurrection. He was raised from the dead and he is still the resurrected one. As if to say, maybe all of those other things were past events, single dot, but the effect of the resurrection is not just rooted in the past, it's carried forward into the future like ripples in a pond. Christ is alive now. He's walking around now. He's answering prayers now. He's, he's guiding people now. He's at the right hand of the Father now. He's giving strength and power and forgiveness and grace. And all of that, that's not just in the past. That's happening now. Kind of cool, right? I mean, don't anybody get carried away and shout amen, but maybe just under your breath you could say, whoopee. I mean, that's, that's good news. Anyway, the tense here, the perfect tense, single dot, arrow. The perfect tense is what's used in Revelation 3. You see it there in verse 8. A door was opened, and it stands open now. See, that's what the translator is trying to say. The door was open, but it still stands open now, today. That's true for you as an individual. It's true for us as a church. It's staggering. We are standing today before a door that has been opened and it remained open. I can imagine just from reading his books that that Jerry Hawthorne would get really animated at this point because he'd say, and there's something even more exciting going on here because there is uh, not just this perfect form of the verb, but there's also a passive participle. And you say, oh, okay, thanks, Jerry. That's exciting. Yeah, but you say, no, there's a passive participle here, and it's so important. It's not just an open door. It's an opened door. And, and, and there's a difference. And he would get really excited about this stuff. And I don't know whether students would fall off their chairs from boredom or, boredom or fall off their chairs in astounded wonder. But, but here's what he means. 
Some of you may know this, but but most devoted Jewish writers and devoted Jewish worshipers were hesitant to use the name of God. It was just felt to be too sacred. You you, you wouldn't use it. Um, you wouldn't use it carelessly. You wouldn't use it recklessly. You wouldn't use it often. Uh, there was something so sacred, so reverent, that they wouldn't speak it. And they would go to considerable lengths to avoid speaking it out of reverent fear of God. So they would tend to express the actions of God without using the name of God as the one who was responsible for the actions. They would do that by using, it was called the divine passive. I know, this feels, boy, this is heavy stuff for early in the morning. But some of you are morning people, I saw you. You know, the passive form of a verb is saying that something happened. It doesn't always say how it happened or who caused it to happen. An active form will say, you did it, or you did it. But the passive form says, it was done. It happened. You feel the difference? The divine passive was used to refer to an action that had happened, and God did it. But out of reverence for the name of God, they wouldn't speak it. Okay, so enough of the grammar. What got Jerry Hawthorne so excited about this passage is not only was it the perfect form of the verb, meaning this is an event that happened in the past, but has ripple effects into the present, but it was also the divine passive. God is the one responsible for this. This is a divinely opened door, a door intentionally and thoughtfully and purposefully and deliberately opened by God in front of us. So these, Hawthorne would say, are the marvelous ideas that swirl all around this image of the open door. By the way, those of you who have some history with us know that one of the ministries that our church has been involved with for, I think, almost 40 years, probably all 40 years, is the Square One Christian Community Center Food Bank Drop-In Center, which is called the Open Door. Where do they get that from? This passage. The Lord Jesus stands beside us and asks us to witness something stupendous. Look, I am giving you a door flung wide open by God, and there it is. It's my gift to you. It's right there in front of you, a door. Now, what does that mean? Because in in literature, in in symbolism, in paintings, a, a door can mean a lot of different things. A door can mean, it can mean safety. The door is locked and chained shut. We're safe inside. The door can mean hiddenness. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. The door can mean rejection. She shut the door right in my face. Maybe a door means rest. I mean, we joke that that the favorite room in the house of an exhausted young mother is often the bathroom because it's the one room that you can go in and lock the door and be alone and enjoy just a few minutes of peace. But that's not the door Jesus is talking about, Hawthorne says. 
It's an open door, he writes. An open door symbolic of boundless opportunities, of unlimited chances to do something worthwhile, of grand openings into new and unknown adventures of significant living, of heretofore unimagined chances to do good, to make our lives count for eternity. When you woke up this morning, you stood before an open door. And you stand before it still. What will you do? Notice Jesus said, not just, look, I've given you a God-opened door. He also said, if you glance back through that passage in Revelation 3, he said, look, I know your strength is small. I don't know, do you feel that some days? My strength is small. The challenges of this world are big. And they feel like they are looming larger all the time. Look, I know your strength is small. What came to to Jerry Hawthorne in those words was, look, look, he says, I, I don't give you open doors without supplying you the courage, the strength, and the power to go through them. So when you've used up what little strength that you have, Draw on mine. Don't worry so much about your own ability, Hawthorne says. Stop making making weakness an excuse for drawing back and turning away from opportunity. Remember, it's the weak who become strong in God's kingdom. Remember, it's my strength made perfect in weakness. And so he writes, and this is the sort of the last little bit of his lecture, and then we can leave our first year New Testament Greek class. But he writes, you know, if there's any lesson that I'd like to share with you today, irrespective of your age or the condition of your health, it's this. Our God, the God of the open door, the God of boundless opportunities that keep opening to us as long as we live, all the way from doing something that may seem far too big for us to doing some small little act of kindness, which in reality is a very big thing. Indeed, in our increasingly harsh, uncaring, unfeeling world, our God has opened a door to boundless opportunity. Okay. I don't know. Would you come back for New Testament Greek for another class? Yeah, no. Not if it were first thing. You know, Greek, Edmund Greek is always first thing in the morning, right? It's 8.30 in the morning, three times a week. He's got his Greek open there. Wonderful. What a student. <laughs> now, so here we are. We're out of the class. We're, we're back together as a church, gathered here in person and gathered online. And, and we imagine Jesus coming to us with the same word that he gives to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. And what is the word? Play it safe. Do your best to maintain what once was. Maybe sit idly by while others rush about the tasks of the world. Now, that's not Jesus. That's not the open door. We want to do our best. We want to do our part along with all the other churches and ministries at work in the GTA to use these days as an opportunity to bring the gospel, the full gospel, all of the hope all of the rewards, all of the encouragement, all of the strength that comes in the midst of adversity, the whole gospel into people's lives. 
What God said to people then, he says still to his church today, look, I'm setting before you an opened door, boundless opportunities. So let's talk for a few minutes about the opportunities that God has set before our church. Let me give you one that I'm thrilled about because it sounds a little bit open doorish. The open hands ministry. This is brand new to us. This is a thrilling partnership that we have with the Scott Mission that allows us, uh, in spite of, actually because of uh, the, the pandemic, to engage with our community in a whole new way. And I want you to know that on Thursdays, when we invite members, not just of the church family, but of the neighborhood family, from Brampton and Etobicoke and Mississauga and some further, to come and join us, they're coming not just for groceries. And boy, the groceries are great. Dry foods, frozen meat, fresh breads, uh, baked goods, fresh vegetables, fresh fruit. I mean, we can be lavish in providing for people's needs. But their needs are not just physical. And so when we roll out tables into this space and chairs, people will come and they will sit and they will stay and they will unburden themselves. And now we've got people that come that won't let us leave them until we pray for them and pray with them. And I can just see this growing from strength to strength to strength. And I'm going to ask that you pray for that. That it grows from dozens to maybe hundreds of families that we get to care for over the course of a year. I think this is the church in motion. This is the church tangible. And if it took something like COVID to wake us to the need and unleash those resources, then thank God for COVID. Did I really say that? I really did. Alpha and EHS or EHR. I think these are the most thrilling invitational events that we have. Uh, Sheldon has these just on a flywheel. They, they just go in constant repetition. Alpha, emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships. Why? Because we believe that there is something to putting the gospel out there in people's lives in ways that are fresh or relevant, that just cannot be dropped, cannot be left, cannot be forgotten. And somehow, uh, Sheldon's managed to transition all this stuff online, and it has power online. Who knew? I mean, we thought Alpha was only ever good as an in-person event and people came because you fed them. The, di- the dinner was the big deal. But no, it's working online and people are coming through that and they're being baptized and they're coming to faith. EHS, that next step where they're realizing that there are consequences to having Jesus in our lives. The consequences are better relationships, better families, better self, uh, uh, self-awareness and better sense of, of, um, of integrity. All of those things are happening. And so we're starting it again. If you've never been, you should come, but you shouldn't come alone. Invite somebody. Do it with them. Do it with them online. My goodness, if, uh, if the technology industry are spending millions of dollars figuring out how we can watch movies together, even though we're at different addresses, we should be able to experience the gospel together, even though we are viewing it from different homes. Don't miss the opportunity to use these tools as a way of bringing hope into people's lives. You'll hear testimony, I'm sure, at the end of EHS and EHR about, about just what a, what a thrilling thing it was to realize that the gospel is, 
is, yes, about eternity, but not just about eternity. It's about hope for daily living. And there's just so much in there about daily living. And then the third area is what we're just going to call bridge because I couldn't think of a better name for it. But do you know that stuff that we do that says to the community, hey, you know what? We're alive. I mean, not just the church is alive, but we're alive together. You know that we are not just confined to our living rooms and bedrooms. Uh, we did one in, in the fall. We did it, we called it uh, Light the Night. Uh, we do one most falls, a fall festival. And we would just really love to be able to increase both the frequency and the joy and the intentionality of the opportunities where we gather our community together and we build bridges one of the things for which we will not thank God is the way that COVID has torn down the bridges that connect people. And now where once we, we looked at people with some enthusiasm, there's a tendency to look at them with fear and suspicion. Either the fear that somehow they might be dangerous or the suspicion that they are, I don't know, off their... Uh, off their uh, seat when it comes to their understanding of what the world has become. We want to build new bridges. We want the church to be a part of it. We don't have to drive it, but sure, we can be a part of it. We want to be able to sing together again. This is our Father's world and recognize that everybody is caught up in that. And so, would you pray with us and Would you join us as we look intentionally about some of those bridge ministries in the life of our church? You know, and maybe some of you are are facing open doors right now in your own life. Maybe it's a vocational change that's happened. It might not even be one that you welcome, but it was forced upon you. It might be a vocational move. It might be a whole new way that God wants you to orient your life. Some ministry opportunities, some way of exploring and developing your gifts and your experiences, something that you had never attempted before. And for whatever reason, you've been holding back. You've been comfortable. You've been satisfied. You don't want to take that next step. Be bold. Behold, I have set before you an opened door, boundless opportunities. Be bold. You never know how God might use what it is you bring when you step through that door. Let me tell you another critical aspect of stepping through that door. It takes resources to do these things and do them well. You heard, and I heard the applause when we celebrated uh, the generosity of God's people. And that's why I just want to uh, celebrate again all of the resources that together you bring. We are better together. We can do things together that none of us would achieve on our own. And so let me encourage you when you, when you think about offering your time in the life of the church, when you think about offering some of your physical or financial resource in the life of the church, To do so, feeling like you have a chance here to throw through that open door something that you have here that would allow a whole new future to develop in God's kingdom. In fact, one of the images I love is, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a risky image, but the idea that it's not just resources, but it's actually people you get to toss through the door. You know, almost like Jesus, 
finding people and sneaking them over the walls of heaven. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Even there on the cross when the thief cries out to him and said, what must I do? And he says, I tell you the truth. Today, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise. Here's another one, Lord. How can we figure out a way of getting people through the opened door? We know our biggest need isn't financial. Our biggest need is spiritual. But somehow the two are always wound up together. As we learn to to receive God's power and do ministry at a high degree of excitement and effectiveness and bring the gospel to people and their lives, we know that, that one of the side effects, one of the great side effects, is that people who are affiliated with the church, they begin to say, hey, this isn't just my church. This is the best single investment I get to make in my life with the resources God has given me. That's the door that we believe God has for us as a church. And if that's something that, that maybe tantalizes you a little bit, here's a simple thing that you can do in response. Pray, pray that God will open a door in your life that has never opened before. Doors that lead up. Maybe that's something in your relationship with God that needs to go to a different place. Need to be immersed somehow in God's word or God's presence like never before. Remember Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So maybe it's a door up that says, God, I just want to experience you more fully in the year that comes. But maybe it's a door that leads in. Uh, because in this, in this age of isolation and anxiety, doing life alone, we've realized, has become catastrophic. You don't need to do that. If you've been doing the Lone Ranger deal for a couple of years, maybe this is the year that it stops. Maybe you've joined us online for the past 20 months, and we've never had a chance to meet together in person. There is something safe about the anonymity of the internet, but there is also something risky about doing life anonymously. Make this the year that it stops. And if you've been on the receiving end of one of those little communities, small groups, maybe this is the year that you step out and lead. It's not just a doorway up or a doorway in, it's a doorway out into leadership. Whatever, whatever it is, you're going from a posture just of, uh, of inward reflection, and sometimes that spirals us downward to a posture of outward affection. God, I want to learn how to love and serve this world in your name. So God, where is there an open door for me to share something of my own story with a person in my workplace or my school or my neighborhood or even my own family. MCBC. The Company of the Open Door. I like that name. The Company of the Open Door. One door leading to another. Nobody knows where it's all going to stop. But we follow the Lord of the Open Door. And for Jesus... It seemed like he was always ready to go through whatever door God set before him. And sometimes 
to be clear, sometimes it was frightening. In the end, one of the doors led to a cross. And they cut his body down. They laid him in a grave carved in the side of a hill. And they sealed it with a stone. For two days he lay there in a dark and empty tomb. But on the third day, on the third day, the father said to him, See, I have placed before you an open door. And he came bursting out to life on the other side. The door, the door remains open. What will you do with an open door? Maybe you'll join the company of God's people who pray with honesty, with sincerity. Lord, you know my strength is small, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to step across the threshold. Send me as part of the company of God's people, as the church of the open door. Let me pray for us in that. Jesus, we pray for your counsel in our lives as we as we receive this invitation, as we receive in our lives the call to not just acknowledge the presence of these incredible opportunities, these doors that you open for us and before us, but we pray for the courage to step across, for that deep sense of surrender and reliance that allows us to do so not just because of our own resilience or fortitude, but, but acknowledging and leaning on the strength of God at work within us. We pray for our church as a new year unfolds before us. So many dreams, God, big dreams, exciting dreams. May the divine dreams flourish as your people step through the doorways that you have prepared for them. And may those that reflect our our own misunderstanding, uh, our own twisted ambitions. May those things just wither and fade away. We want to be your church, the church of Jesus, the church of the open door. Rally us to that great cause, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.